welcome to the Grounded Families podcast with me, Julia Goodall, psychologist and coach. This is a podcast for all families navigating life, love and relationships. We delve into our stories and experiences of family and how these go on to shape and change who we are. I'm so happy to have you here. Hello and welcome to today's episode. My guest today is the lovely Ritho Soleri Johnson, a creator, photographer and podcaster. And we talk about all things creativity, mothering in a pandemic, home learning in a pandemic, um, as well as Ritho's early experiences of growing up in Pakistan before moving to the UK as a child. Ritha also very generously shares her own journey into anti-racism work and how this has impacted her marriage on top of layers of relationships changing after having children. I loved this conversation so, so much. Um, but unfortunately, the we had all sorts of tech issues and the sound quality is not great. But I really hope you can um, hear through it to the wonderful conversation. I hope you enjoy it. Hello, Rida. Hello. <laughs> Hi. Um, I just wanted to do a quick introduction and to say thank you so much for joining me. We've had a fair amount, nearly 45 minutes of technical problems. <laughs> so thanks for staying with me. But um, yeah, I just wanted to do a quick introduction of our guest today, uh, Ritha Suleri Johnson. Am I saying your name correctly? Yeah. Ritha, you're my very, very first actual real life podcast guest. Yeah, I'm so, so chuffed to speak to you. So Ritha, you I was just saying on your bio, it's the most beautiful bio on Instagram around um, who you are and describe yourself as an artivist, a creator, an artivist, um, maker of mini movies and a photographer. But what I love most is that you also call yourself a disruptor. Um, and I love that oh. because I think you are one of the gentlest disruptors um, that really <laughs> makes waves. Yeah, I love that about you. Um, oh. So, yeah, just wanted to introduce you. Do you want to give us a bit of um, background about who you are? Sure. So, Bertie, thank you for that intro. And I honestly don't think anybody ever pays attention to the bio. So. <laughs> I love <laughs> so it. Nice. And I have to say, to give credit to Rabia, who I actually noticed Artivist was in her bio first. Okay. And I took on it. So, Rabia's my cousin. She's also. Um, actually flourished underscore <laughs> um but I really loved it because I thought yeah that resonates with me um I'm really passionate about the arts as a form of I don't know everything I think they're too segregated and as seen as less than but actually I think there's sort of an art and creativity within whatever you do whether it's accountancy or you know whatever it is you can have a, a flair you can mm. use creativity in that um and yeah so <laughs> so I really appreciate you actually reading my bio <laughs> 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 I love that and I love that you talk about creativity and everything because I think that's so important that we value certain things and then really undervalue um other things and yeah careers and all sorts of things that are based on the arts and actually those are the things that we've seen kind of keeping us alive over the past year and a bit um we know how important those things are but they're not valued in the same way no absolutely and actually last i guess it was march so nearly a year ago the um the wow global event but they had to obviously take it online because that was when the you know the whole lockdown here started happening, and um, and um, I can't remember what Wow stands for. It's women. I don't. I can't remember. But it's it is an acronym. Wow yeah. Global. Okay. But, um, and um, it, you know it's about women and and women as in in the intersectional sort of sense, like anybody yeah. who identifies as as a woman or non-binary so it's a really I, I do something they can do better if I'm honest but it, generally speaking it's an amazing event with amazing speakers and okay. um they had Angela Davis on like oh, wow. the Angela Davis That's and um I was watching I think it was on quite late because she's not in England yeah. and 
but she talked, she spoke about how creativity and art is what will help us through this sort of difficult time. Yeah. Um, and yeah, and it really resonated. I did actually write down the quote. Oh, please read it. You might try and find it. Yeah. Be able to find it straight away, but that's fine. Um, I did sort of rewind the um, the live whilst while she was talking um, to be able to um, you know make a note of it. Um, Professor Angela Davis, yeah. So she spoke on lots of other things, um, but she said, "This is her her quote." She said. We need art in order to remind us of our, our humanity. They, meaning artists, allow us to feel what we do not yet know. And I just, and I kept rewinding so I could get it, you know, like verbatim. And it just, it just really resonated with me because I think actually I was noticing that the things that were keeping me going in lockdown and stuff were things like, you know, creativity either with the girls, mm. orcs, music, especially, mm. you know. It's um, so beautiful. I love that quote. I'm going to yeah. have to get you to send it to me. So, oh, yeah. so beautiful yeah. and so powerful. Yeah. So, yeah. So I, I don't know where I'm going with this. Sorry. Oh, I love but, it. I, <laughs> I've noticed that as well, working with people, that those are the things that are getting them through. And those are the things we're talking about. So we're talking more about how people are finding kind of, pockets of that in their lives are they reading more are they listening to more music and and so many people are being more creative you know the whole um even the sourdough meme trope of last year which became kind of tedious but um but i think people are just desperate to do something do something with their hands make something feel you know that they can sustain themselves in some way and art is the same um, mm-hmm. And I'm thinking about yeah. your videos. Your videos are that, as all the things that you can't necessarily put words to, but you manage to bring them to life in your videos and those movies. Um, so, yeah, it makes sense. Yeah, I definitely I definitely turn to creating something, whether it's a self-portrait or like a mini movie. And I usually let inspiration happen rather than have like an idea from okay. the outset. Um because sometimes actually it's just really nice to be in the moment and other mm-hmm. times quite nice to stitch moments together mm-hmm. uh, and sort of create a feeling, I guess, around mm-hmm. it. Um, I really enjoy that. Uh, I re- yeah, I really enjoy making my mini movies um, because I've been making them for quite a, a, quite a while now. Like, well, years, um, yeah. And as long as I've followed you on Instagram, you've made them as long as I've known you. Yeah. 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 So, yeah, no, I really enjoy that. I really, that, I mean, <laughs> if, you think, if you think like the early motherhood is a bit like lockdown, like what it was for me. <laughs> yeah, totally for me. <laughs> oh, man. And so actually that's when I turned to photography. So, um, and like faffing and oh. sort of, um flat lays and stuff like that so that's how it started oh, off and okay. then I didn't know that just, I didn't know that because I know you trained as a teacher you is that what you did before yeah so well I'm not I'm not a qualified teacher okay because I finished my degree okay um but because I'm with Zora okay okay oh, I remember that okay yeah and then, and then and then I was due to return and then I found out I was pregnant with Dali and then I was kind of like that's over well, Let's just go back to home and go to yeah. read closer to my mum. Yeah, so that's basically what happened. But I did get, a, I did complete like just over two years of my degree. But isn't it amazing that it led you into what's now your passion and that, yeah, motherhood and that just sparked your creativity? I think that's amazing. I think we think yeah. in such linear ways about what we should do and studying and what it will lead to. And it often, I think we rob ourselves of so much if we're thinking like that. So I love that you've just followed that and made your own path. Yeah, I, th- I think I'm definitely a person who, I've been reflecting on this recently, actually, um, that I'm quite grateful 
Like, although <laughs> financially, probably I'm not well off at all, or, you know, um, it's probably not like the best financial sense, but I am thankful to my parents for kind of always, um, I, I don't know, it's weird really. I, I don't want to go off on too much of a tangent, but basically I was reflecting on the fact that um, I'm grateful that basically my my parents always nurtured a follow your heart kind of mm. sort of, you know, um, belief and instill that in us. And and I think they didn't they wouldn't have minded whether it was academic or not. I think mm. they're very knowing um in telling like all of us, you know, what they're proud of um with what yeah. we do and um and although sometimes I do feel like I wish they'd been a bit more, a bit more strict in some ways. Yeah. But they did always allow me to be be myself and f- follow my own path. Mm. And, um, and f- I'm grateful for that. Yeah, and it gives you confidence then to be able to do that when you're an adult. You know. Yes, or like adapting or trying something new. Yeah. I think that's kind of. Um, been able to grow that kind of, I don't know what it would be like. I wouldn't say like, a, 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 I'd say instinct rather than skill. Mm. I don't know if yeah. it's an instinct that I have to be able to change change direction if I need to. Okay, which we know is, I, I would call it a skill too. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Excuse me, that you're able to navigate that. I think that's so important because it means – you can adapt to whatever's happening um, because I guess we have so little control over what happens in life. We like almost none. We have this illusion that we do, but the fact that you can do that and just respond to what's happening is incredible um, and be creative within that. I think, yeah, it's an amazing thing. My parents are also quite hands off in that way. And they would just say, what are you interested? What do you want to do? And also as an adult, I often thought, you paying attention <laughs> to those parts? <laughs> Did you ask me enough questions about what I was actually doing? Especially at school, they were just like, oh, well, just, you know, carry on. Let us know if there's a, a big problem, basically. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. I don't know. I think that that helped because I always think there's a fine line in how much, you know, I'm conscious with the girls, whether I don't want to be overbearing or underbearing. Mm. Yeah, I know what you mean. I, th- I think for for years I felt like they were underbearing. Do you know what mm-hmm. I mean? And maybe still, maybe I still think that that they. I wish I'd had s- sometimes more direction on certain things, or mm-hmm. just an opinion. <laughs> just shout out your opinions, guys. <laughs> but um, but I'm really grateful that it's done something similar to what you describe around being able to start something new and. Um, think a little bit, yeah, well, think a lot for myself in terms of what I agree with, what I don't agree with, what I, what I want to do. Um, and so I'm grateful for that as a result. Yeah. Do you think that's something you want to instill with your girls or something you want to pass on, um, something that your parents have given you? Yeah, I think it's funny because um, you really see the difference in the way that me and Chris were brought up okay. in the we've had to take up, you know, kind of homeschooling and how mm-hmm. we keep up with how they, because I'm very much like, they're fine. <laughs> they don't need to really do anything. Yeah. And that, um, that was very much my um, viewpoint. That's what I led with. And mm-hmm. despite having um, a background in teaching, so I, you know, I have some understanding of how kids learn. Yeah. Um, so you know that we call it mama school okay it was very much based in nature and play and whatever sparked their interest or whatever they were talking about we would make that into a topic or a subject and kind of Mm. develop their ideas and understanding around that thing whether the woods or butterflies or whatever it was and um this time around we have a lot more support from the school in terms of the Zoom classes and things okay. like that. And, um, <laughs> yeah, so Chris is much more like, oh, you, you know, they should be doing this kind of support work and extra work and mm-hmm. stuff. And it, 
at first I was resistant to it and then I thought oh do you know what actually it's okay to kind of have that extra little bit of a a cushion for them because I'm able Mm. to do it yeah I'm freelance and I don't you know at the moment I don't have any work so yeah I'm able to sort of give them a bit more time um imperfectly let me just add I'm not like this calm <laughs> it's a relief to like, hear yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I definitely have my moments but but I also like give them lots of I don't I don't do too much okay. I'll do like a little bit after their lesson to try and support that okay. and that's something Talk because I think he was definitely supported and encouraged in that way at home, mm. uh, you know, academically sort of yeah. um, scaffolding his learning. And, it, and I want to do that a little bit with the girls because I think it does help solidify understanding. And it can be mm. very small. Like, so I don't sit with them for like an hour or anything. Okay. It'll be very small. Or we might be watching something and then... I, I might ask them a question that oh, might have been okay. loosely linked to, I don't know, um, maths or doing. something like yeah. that. Okay, that's really lovely. And it's so lovely that you're using both of your very different approaches because yeah. I think that's inevitable. You ne- you're always brought up in different homes. You're never going to agree on exactly how to do things, and that's really helpful. Um, I found the opposite in the first lockdown that I was so – oh, I'm going to do this work and my own sort of anxiety about getting stuff done and handing it in was Mm. so unhelpful, Um, particularly, well, Imogen hadn't started school, but Harrison was in year one and it was terrible and just got to about week three or I can't even remember how long it happened for, but week three and thinking this is not good for our relationship because I was just pushing and pushing and pushing and pushing. And and he was saying things like, this is not – how Mrs. Hearsome talks to us. <laughs> this is not how this is not how Mrs. Hearsome encourages us. He's like really articulate about things like that. And it stopped me so often. I just thought, what am I doing? Um I wonder if also your because of your training that you feel more confident knowing, okay, this is how they'll learn. This is this is fine. We can learn things in different ways. And that if you don't have that you're more rigid, you know? Oh yeah. I mean I it's definite privilege advantage to be able to have that knowledge and although you know it'll be gappy knowledge because it's been like I don't know eight years or something now yeah yeah no yeah it's been like eight years since um still I've like left my degree and sort of teaching and stuff like that but uh, there is that foundation that base understanding of like um how kids learn and the different ways in that they learn and it mm. doesn't have to be like you know sitting down and doing this oh, like, exactly you can use your body to do math so you can yeah. make songs and stuff like that and yeah. actually do you know I I just was like do you know what I'm just not going to put this added pressure on myself um and thank God for TV. I just <laughs> yeah, yeah. absolutely <laughs> them because they there are so many amazing programs like yeah. story amazing which is new to us number blocks like cbb oh, yes. you've got like a whole yeah uh, thing online uh, and not on tv and i just think there are so many things out there that actually you don't have to put that pressure on you mm, and if thing, um you know if they're watching a bit a bit too much tv it's fine yeah. i think as long as they get some time outside if you're able to um you know it could even be like on a balcony or like a little patio like if they're just doing some um chalk on the floor or mm. things like uh, you know just, just getting just outside but even if you can't get outside yeah. and they're playing with dried pasta or mm. it could be just it could be something creative. small yeah and they just don't need lots of it and it actually in schools you do very short sections and then okay. it's there's play and then there's play times and then there's breaks and stuff like that. So mm. you have to be really, that's something that I struggled with in my teaching is that you have to deliver a lot in a short amount of time. It seems like it. It seems like the amount of stuff that they put into these lessons is incredible and really essentially yeah. like a 15 minute window. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Oh it really is. 
yeah. very sure. But it's also to do with their attention spans. Sure. Uh, I know that some schools are get very, very differently and have like a full whole day of mm. classes. Um, I'm that. very thankful that the girls' school are doing. They so that both of the girls are now in school, so they have like a morning session, which is roughly half an hour to forty-five minutes, okay. and then they have an afternoon session, oh, which wow. is half an hour exactly, okay. and um, and that's it. Okay, that's and have. then they're done. <laughs> Yeah, it's yeah. too much otherwise. Because I think we're not also taking into consideration that kids are not used to working in this medium because they mm-hmm. fill in the gaps in so many. If you think about we speak on a screen and we can fill in the gaps around what our bodies are doing and what it means. But for children, mm-hmm. like, they're still learning all of that and filling in the gaps takes so much energy. Um, yeah. And it feels too much that kids are sitting in front of a computer all day. Um, yeah, yeah. I think for them it's too much because they just get bored. Like mm-hmm. even with the sessions that we have, like the girls start to like, you know, they've <laughs> yeah. got their house and them and, and stuff as well, and their toys and exactly. their sister. Or I don't know, I might be saying something like, "What's that sort of? A, what did that teach? What did you say?" Or what <laughs> yeah. did you, like I try to like yeah. and stuff, and I also do try and encourage them to like speak mm-hmm. because be a bit like coy when it comes to speaking on zoom yeah Uh, it is it's intimidating imogen is not she does not like speaking on zoom you can see as soon as they call on her she just freezes and when we have the opposite with harrison we have to say put your hand down you've said six things (laughs) (laughs) they have another child a chance so yeah i guess it's all navigating all of those things um which you don't even realize it's easy enough for us well it's exhausting for us but um (laughs) imagine for them um I just wanted to switch to asking you a little bit about your family and um and growing up and hear a little bit about how yeah in terms of how you grew up and and how you are linking that to the things you describe as being a mum and a wife um what are the things that have really influenced you what are your really kind of happy memories around growing up or your difficult memories and how those all kind of bled into now? Um, it's kind of weird, isn't it? I think motherhood. And I think this happens like whether you adopt or birth your children or whatever. Yeah. I think it's just with becoming a, a parent, a parent. Or, a, or a grown up to a little person yeah. and, or, you know, like a, a kid, sorry. Um, yeah, I mean, I have lots of happy memories, but mostly they're from, like, earlier childhood. Okay. So, like, like very little, so up till about, like, age 10 and stuff. And then when I went to secondary school, it's, like, a whole other, whole other sort of thing. I, it's a weird it's a weird sort of situation because um, I've done a lot, a lot of unlearning, like, the past, like, I would say four years now. Mm. Um, so it's like been a long journey, continuing journey, because um, I don't think there's like an end stop. It's just like a continuous like learning Absolutely. and unlearning. Yeah. And actually, as the teacher, you're told that you you are like a a, a forever learner. Mm, yeah, I love that. You're always like somebody who's learning at the same time, and it's really true because I think you do adapt to what your children need because they aren't you you know they're mm. they're, they're, they're own people yeah um yeah i i want them to for, for me it's really important that they know about their pakistani heritage mm. about where i'm from and we talk about like race or racism or and all those things like those are really in, integral to my parenting now. Yeah. Uh, but also about um, trans rights and how you know that for me that's also important. Yeah. To teach them and Dali doesn't understand so much, um, but has always got a pretty good understanding. And I think and they come to it if you if you're speaking about it they'll take in what they can and the rest comes later. I think it's just important that it's, it feels normal to talk about things like that. Yes. Yeah. I completely yeah. agree. I think yeah. it's completely normal and just like a normal part of conversation. And that's how I bring it up. Yeah. 
you know, it won't be like a separate, let's sit down and talk about trans Have people. a memo. <laughs> yeah. Was yeah. that not something that happened in your family? Was like when you talked about race and racism, was that not something that was discussed at home when you were little? Not really. Mm-hmm. Um, only because I think because we, my family is, we have people from all over the world in our family. Mm-hmm. Uh, it wasn't ever, and it was something I thought about when I moved to England. Okay. Because I, I was born, I should have, I should have said You were born, in, was born in Pakistan, born. yeah. But then you yeah. moved here when you said you were about three? Seven. Oh, I was seven, you're much older. Seven. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Half, I think, technically. Okay. <laughs> Six and three quarters or whatever. And, um, yeah, I moved to here in, in June 1992, I believe. So oh, wow. I was like seven. Okay. And, um... Yeah, so I, I have really fun. Like, obviously, in Pakistan, though, I wasn't, um, I wasn't other. You know, I just was. And then when I came here, then you mm-hmm. didn't notice it. And it was only when you get a bit older that you notice things, and then um, you know what other people say. And mm-hmm. there was definitely, I've definitely been aware of colorism for like longer than I had racism for example like in terms of and and I guess when you're younger and things aren't they weren't really spoken about in that way okay okay so you Uh, it's on your radar but you're not kind of categorizing things in the same way yeah of course it makes an impact at least something that I was aware about and fat phobia for sure oh yes because there's there's so much fat phobia in I think Desi culture in general. Like, oh, okay. I'd probably say the whole Asian continent, to be honest. I, I feel like I've spoken to like East and Southeast Asian people who have had that same oh, wow. as well. Okay. Um, but yeah, sorry. I feel like I've gone off on a tangent. <laughs> I love a tangent. Uh, I'm a huge fan of a tangent. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so... Yeah, there is that sort of dynamic of like not being other and then be, being other when you move, when we moved here. But even when we yeah. first moved here, we lived in Hansworth, and the school that I went to was very mixed. We okay. had Chinese, Vietnamese, um, black, and Asian, and okay. and white kids as well, of course. Mm. But so, but it was really mixed. They were it was not like a majority white at all. Like yeah. it was it was a really really nice mix of people yeah. and so which is so unusual here it feels I mean unless you are living in in certain parts of England it feels unusual oh yeah but for England generally unusual for Birmingham less so for okay. Hansworth less okay so is a very multicultural okay. area of Birmingham mm-hmm. okay and so I, I feel really grateful that I had that mm-hmm. welcome to like England and being here because my my friend told me when I was older that I used to just run around speaking Urdu because I didn't I spoke a little bit of English but mainly Urdu and so I would just run around that playground speaking Urdu but nobody ever made me feel any way yeah that you just felt comfortable to be who you were and yeah I love that like nobody was like oh why are you speaking that whereas Mm -hmm. I feel like these days might might be like that but having said that Zora School is actually fairly multicultural also okay and, and um they have like kids from you know who are non-English speakers okay so that, again just feels normal and yeah people speak yeah. different languages are you teaching the girls Urdu uh my Urdu is so bad okay <laughs> and words, some words like, yeah or that's lovely things like that you know okay we try with ours as well to teach bits of we'll speak bits of Afrikaans and then we live in a well my parents are from a like it's a Zulu part of South Africa and so we'll say lots of Zulu words um and the kids they love it they love that that's part of their heritage and um especially Harrison he's got deep into that around having been born there and Imogen very much identifies as being English which mm. she was born here. 
Yeah, yeah, that's interesting, isn't it? Because I do think, like, my brother was born here. Mm. He was born in, um, whereas me and my sister were born over there. But my sister, okay. she was three when she came over, so yeah. she was she was tiny, no, or she was just turning four, I guess, because it was in June. Um, but yeah, so she she was really little, and um, I think that that has sort of inform the way that we look at ourselves and mm. how it is more we, I mean we're different personalities also me my brother and my sister but mm. I think it's always been um really important for my sister I think at first to have that connection with Pakistan and okay <laughs> whereas I, I was I was all, I was angry with Pakistan to be honest because I realised from like quite a young age, like how corrupt it is, and you know, mm. it's it, it's it's a beautiful country, but it's also very problematic. Like, yeah. like well, and it yeah. has very, um, you know, hard history. Mm. So, I, I, so interesting though that you picked up on that and that you were angry about it even as a child. I think that's really um, amazing. I used to say that I was going to go back as a politician and change things. So that was like one of my first like the jobs or careers that I wanted was to mm. be um yeah a politician and to go back <laughs> and, change. and do something I love that what yeah. I wonder like, I wonder where that came from was just hearing your parents speak about what was going on like I wonder how you absorbed all of that yeah I think probably definitely my parents because my grandfather was a he was a, a journalist. He was the head of a newspaper okay. in in Pakistan, and he was a prominent okay. figure, at, you know, during um, partition, yeah, and things like that. So I mm. think my parents have been political. Yeah, um, they've always been. Yeah, they've always been very, um, like liberal minded and thinking, and that's how they grew up. And yeah. You know, they used to, <laughs> I used to ride around on Papa's motorbike when I was teeny. Mm-hmm. Even as a baby, they used to take me on their motorbike, which is not unusual there. Yeah, but South African either, <laughs> with no helmet they, in sight. Yeah, they were, they were, like, my mum was 20 and my dad was 24. Oh, wow. So, when yeah. they had me, so okay. they were really young. Yeah. They were very free-spirited and, like, mm. you know, they had friends with farms and we'd go and... You know, even when I was a baby, they'd go to, like, parties. <laughs> and then, like, so I would just lay down with their friends and, like, look at the stars and stuff oh, like wow. that. Yeah, so, that's incredible. And so amazing you remember that, that you have those memories of of yeah. where you're from. I think that's so important. And maybe why yeah. your sister almost over-identifies because she doesn't have that. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah maybe. Yeah. Mm, so interesting. Um. No, it is it is really nice, and I've been thinking about it a lot because they're far from perfect. My parents, especially my dad, who I've got uh, lots of qualms with. Okay, and I've like thought for years how I want to write him a letter. And this mm. is a tough, but I want to write him a letter that is like started. You know, when you write it in your in head, your head, yeah. <laughs> I have many letters yeah. on the go. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. yeah, so your parents are divorced, or are they still together? Okay, okay, yeah, and as you long time ago now okay and your dad lives in Birmingham as well yeah okay he does. all right okay he did live in Indonesia for a little while just <laughs> what when you were little no when okay. he was when after they divorced so okay all he right. married a random Indonesian lady and then hated it in Jakarta because it was very polluted and it was bad for his asthma okay <laughs> And also, he just couldn't speak the language. It was like, yeah, it was just, I think it was too, too much for him. Mm. And he, yeah, or two, and then divorced that woman and came back. Mm -hmm. But I'm glad because we were really angry with him. For for going. Yeah, that's, that's a lot. Um, yeah. yeah. What the hell are you doing? <laughs> Moving to Indonesia. Yeah, we are so, here, all three of us. Oh my gosh. Yeah, yeah that's a so lot. I was 15. Then, okay. Like okay. Around 15, 17, around that kind of time mm. period. Um, but yeah, so I, I, I have a, I would say that I have a good relationship with my parents. We get on. 
um Bapa doesn't like I mean I think he both likes that I um t- tell it like it is with mm. him <laughs> and uh, I also think he really doesn't like it <laughs> stop confronting me with yeah <laughs> with the girls like I like it when they call me up on my bullshit mm. At the same time, I'm annoyed. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Don't want to be then, challenged. <laughs> yeah, but like, yeah, proud and sort of a bit like, oh, hang on. Absolutely. And then at the same time, I'm like, okay, no, well done. Oh, because I want them to be able to do that, yeah. to be honest. Yeah, absolutely. I really hope our children can do that. I think that our generation of kids would have been very much about this is the parent and you listen to them. And so it was unusual to be unsp- outspoken in that way. Um, mm. And it's so, so important. Yeah. yeah definitely spoken. <laughs> definitely <laughs> You're a disruptor. <laughs> I love that. I love it. Just own it. How do you think the relationship also with your parents has influenced the way that you and Chris are? Oh, that's an interesting one. <clears throat> it's weird because again I've been reflecting on this recently and I think like having the girls has really changed our relationship completely because we were we were like annoyingly lovey dovey okay. <laughs> one of those couples <laughs> yeah but we were one of those couples I used to call him puppy world <laughs> you know and he used to call me baby waves and we were really annoying like that like to each other usually not in front of other yeah. people yeah and things like that and and um but then, like, I mean, I really disliked him <laughs> for a while. I was just like, well, before, oh, my gosh, annoying. After you had um, kids? Pardon? Do you mean after you had kids? Yeah. <laughs> after. Absolutely. And, um, no, at first with Zora, it was okay. Yeah. Uh, and then when we had Dahlia, and, you know, we were, we had to move house and, um, and I was pregnant with Dali and then we were moving to Birmingham. It was like a, you know, it was like a weird time. Yeah, those anyway. times are difficult. Yeah. Um, also, I found out some other stuff, family related, that was quite mm. heavy whilst I was pregnant with Dahlia. Okay. And it was like really not a good time for me. And then around that time, I really didn't like Chris either. Mm. Uh, so our, our relationship has, has changed a lot, but we've been together for like 15 years, just over 15 years now. Okay. Uh, which is a fairly long time. And I think that um, having seen my parents and like my mum and how like Baba could be with her sometimes, like I definitely have a no tolerance to any kind of bullshit from Chris or anything. And especially now that I can sort of use language around um race or gaslighting or tone policing or anything like that Mm. i i sort of i can use that language as well to kind of identify behaviors within chris like that you know if he if he uses anything like that i feel like is gaslighting me or tone policing Mm. me then i tell him (laughs) i'm like god me, uh, followed by properties and expletives and then, <laughs> <laughs> then um, but I I feel very like I, I know that I'm not perfect at all but I feel quite confident in myself that I'm able to like stand up for myself basically yeah. and because I think it took me a long time to be able to stand up for myself. Mm. I'm very good it for other people. I've always done it as a natural instinct. Mm. I, I've, like, I've always stood up for like my sister, for example. Okay. So like if somebody was ever being mean to her, she'd run to me and say, you know, mm. blah, blah, blah. And then I'd go and shout at them, go and tell them off or something. <laughs> um, and it's I was only like little myself always. Yeah. And, uh, yeah so, but, but, I, but I think like within our relationship, it's been, it, yeah, it's just changed a lot um, after having children. Mm. It does uh, change so much, I think, of the relationship because you don't have space and you don't have time in the same way to to muddle through through those things. Whereas, you know, when you have children, it's busy and your needs are are elsewhere that you're giving so much of yourself to to children and you have less 
time to kind of, like you say, just deal with that bullshit. <laughs> and it's yeah. not, you know, you can't have a two hour conversation about what's gone wrong and what you haven't enjoyed. And, and you get more concise <laughs> about saying what you need and what you want and what you definitely don't want. And I think that's, it's hard for people to navigate that change. Cause I think if any of, if anyone changes within a, a couple, there's lots, often lots of resistance from the other one because it's uncomfortable and it's uncomfortable to be challenged and it's uncomfortable to have to look at your own stuff. Um, but yeah, it's amazing that I you're doing it. I uncomfortable for sure. Okay. <laughs> I, yeah, I do challenge him. And I think, you know, he does take it fairly well most of the time. Yeah. But, you know, we all have egos. And, if, and, yeah. I, and I tell him all the time, actually, that, basically he's never like something that I identified that he that we used to get into arguments because he didn't like me calling him up on stuff Mm. and it always made me feel like I was a really horrible person for doing it Mm. but like more recently like in the last year or something I've been able to identify that actually what the issue is that it's his ego that doesn't like it like Mm. he used to being praised like he was used to being praised from me as well before okay you know not to like the point of like being overly I've never been that kind of like overly doughty type of person but mm-hmm. um but like he, he wasn't ever given feedback or told things the way that he was told them like especially after having children yeah and um, you know, like his mum basically thinks that he can do n- no wrong, and society thinks yeah. that he can do no wrong. Yeah. And he had, like, he was really blonde before when I first met him, and he has blue eyes, which, you know, always, always baffles me how I ended up with him. And, but yeah, so I think it's definitely like, I sometimes, like, in a, you know, like argument or a, Mm. like, you know, when we have a disagreement or something, then, or even a, even a heated conversation, sometimes it's not even an argument. It might be like a debate or something. Yeah. And which I always enjoy, by the way. Me too. (laughs) Uh, For him, it was very much, I was meeting his ego rather than him. Yeah. And I I still say to him, like, I'm not going to speak to your ego. Like if your ego is bruised and you see see this as criticism, when I'm literally just stating facts and, and I can't do that, you know, then I'm not going to have this conversation. How have you got past that? Like, how did you break through that? Um, I think it was definitely in terms of my unlearning and sort of realizing that actually his dynamic as a white man affects our relationship and sort of reflecting how he has had all this like, you know, privilege basically. He's had privilege in terms of his like parents always been being together, like financially stable, Mm -hmm. all, you know, upward curve of like school college uni career that's mm. like been his like trajectory has always been like that straight path like traditional the yeah and now I understand that it is definitely because of a lot of privileges mm. and you know, his parents did work really hard to be able to to give him that but also like he did because he didn't always realize it because they are humble like they're pretty grounded people yeah I think sometimes that sort of makes you blind to your privileges because Absolutely. you're like, oh, but I'm humble and I'm, I'm this mm-hmm. and that. And I think basically for, for him, he he sort of sees it as like, oh, well, I'm this like humble, nice guy. And I'm like, yeah, you're this humble, nice guy, but you've still got a lot of privilege. You're still white mm-hmm. and you're still a man. You're still cis mm-hmm. and you're able-bodied and you're all, all you know, he's literally all like, of these just, boxes. Just, just all of yeah. And when I, when I realised that, I realised that actually sometimes I'm, t- like, talking to that mm. and that is lens with, with which he's viewing me from also mm. in Brown Woman is yeah. telling him who previously did not speak like this to him mm. and speaking like this to him and it was kind of like there was this resistance and then through the unlearning and being able to name the things and understand that, whilst it's not like his fault as such and it's just kind of like 
you know, the baggage we all come with, yeah. our bridges and our brokenness or whatever we come yeah. with, that's us. So I think once I was able to name it as like his ego and privilege and stuff like that, and and I told him very specifically um, that you know like he he in in our relationship as a husband and wife, mm. but also as a father to two like you know mixed uh, ethnicity children. Yes. He needs to understand that he is a white man and how he behaves towards them and how he behaves towards me in mm-hmm. front of them or otherwise. Um, it, you know, it will inform how they view the world and view men and view, absolutely. you know, yeah. the things. Yep. And so, and it was once I sort of, it was like, you know, a piece of a puzzle kind of clicked. It was probably mm-hmm. like doing Rubik's Cube, which I've never done. But yeah, once you <laughs> yeah, finally get it in place, also never done. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and so it was kind of like that. I was like, oh, okay, this this makes sense to me, and actually, it makes me less angry once I understand things. Yeah, and it, it so I'm very much like a toddler sometimes, I guess. <laughs> you know, you just get really frustrated. Really <laughs> but yeah. I I love that you were able to articulate that with him because I I think first it is so challenging to look at your own privilege and your own and bias and and all sorts of things and I think it's the beginning of that I think for me that started actually with um ages ago that Rabia posted that it feels like it started a wave it was that video she posted on Instagram I think it was maybe two or three years ago it's under four uh it was maybe even before that it was just on her own it was ages ago anyway and yeah um, and that for me was a real um, like turning point and beginning of things in, in lots of ways. And the beginning was so uncomfortable and so cringy and so layered with, yeah, just all the discomforts. And so I, I can see that and I can see how it is so it just gets your, your heckles up. And I guess it's, it's that part of ourselves that we're trying to protect to say, but not me or I'm not like that. And, and missing that point around, yes, but these are your privileges, whether you, whether you accept them or not really that we exist yeah. within this together. Um, and I love that you've also likened it with the girls and that you are creating a map for them, like a map of how they'll um, be in the world and how they'll choose relationships later on and what type of, men or women they'll be with do you know what I mean I think that's so so important to to really interrogate that for so long we've just been on this track of this is how it is and not thinking about our beliefs and our assumptions and it's horrifying but it's true yeah Mm. I think um yeah it is uncomfortable I I don't think this is something that I've said like quite a lot Mm. I feel like at least a couple of years now, mm. for sure. But I don't. People don't realise that actually, for like, because obviously I hold privileges as well because I'm um, able-bodied and because I'm light brown skin and mm. stuff like that. Um, but at the same time, I had to do a lot of unlearning about, you know, just even learning about white supremacy and system, systemic racism and all of that kind of thing is actually like a real, I don't know if I'm going to swear, but. You are, but, you are. <laughs> <laughs> but it's like a headbutt, it's a massive headbutt. You're just like, yeah. oh my God, question everything, question yourself. Like, who am I? Oh my gosh, you feel really like you go through all of this, like, unraveling basically yourself and then you have to kind of pull yourself together again back together exactly so all of all the internalized messaging from your entire life and then to unravel that is that what you mean yeah and I think specifically as people of of color like black indigenous people of color like I think specifically for us or other marginalized identities I think it's really hard because it it's kind of like you've known it because you've experienced it and you kind of do this whole looking back through life mm. and looking at like all the racial trauma that you you look at it through a different an additional lens I would say yeah. because you know I I've been through a lot 
and um you kind of just go back and you're re- reviewing things and adjusting your lens I guess and your mm-hmm. experience kind of putting in this like other dimension of of race and oppression and your own bias and stuff like that and it is a really painful experience I think mm-hmm. in a lot of ways mm-hmm. uh, eventually becomes um, empowering and liberating in lots of ways also mm-hmm. but at first it's very much like oh my god it's just you know it's like really um it's really difficult and I think what I really hate about this whole thing about oh you know you're woke I'm like are you really because it took me uh, like four years I would say mm. of like doing a bit and then you know kind of getting caught up in life and then doing a bit more like it's been mm. like returning to it and then the last year it's been kind of like you're thrown in mm. at the deep having to um of having to actually confront it yeah um and not you not being able to do that at your own pace do you know, is that what you mean yeah because of was, last year was, you know, yeah and i think last year the first lockdown that is that is when it, uh, there was a point where i thought me and chris was were going to split up okay because in looking back now i think it was just really triggering mm. Because I'm very empathic also, I feel things. So when George Floyd happened and, mm. you know, I just I just felt all of it. And I know that sounds stupid. No. And I'm not saying how a black person feels at all. But I just felt like the connect, collective energy. Yeah. Uh, this is too much. Mm. And I, I, it was a physical pain inside my chest. Yeah. And I was just, I think I was just angry at Chris because he was just wouldn't be able to understand. And for me, he wasn't trying to understand. Mm. And, you know, he's a, he's a pretty awesome person, like in terms of, you know, I know that he has biases and stuff like that. But as far as sort of white men go, he's always been pretty, you know, um, inclusive and accepting and, yeah. you know, of, of everybody. And, um, but I think at that time it was like, uh, you're too different from me. Mm, we can't bridge this. Like, how do we connect through this? Yeah. Yeah. And it, it was, we just, we just, we clashed majorly. Mm. And I think it was just like the whole thing of like, oh my God, it's not going to be just a month or two months mm. or three kind of thing. Um, but now I say, now I would say we're like we're much better, mm. we're much better, Gosh, we're and we've kind of found our thing. And I think that's only because I've been like doing the work and actually, have, you kind of settle back down because you just do hate everything when you are learning. You're like, I can't watch any programs. Yep, because it's everywhere. It's just big. see it everywhere. Yeah, yeah, I was like, I'm not watching a b- bunch of white privileged people just moan about like <laughs> bad their lives not- are. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I can't do it. And then, it, I mean, I did eventually go back to it and loved it and cried, and I was like, oh, this is the best. Yeah. But you need that. I don't know how to explain it, and I know it's different for everybody, but for me, it was I kind of hated everything, and everything was pain, and everything was mm. horrible, and mm. and so divided and. I felt like a huge amount of empathy towards like anybody with a marginalized identity. Yeah. But powerless as well, I guess. Yeah. I didn't actually do apart from sort of dive down, um, do like a deep dive on on everything, on unlearning and learning and um the internet basically and But you but yeah. You've, something I noticed about you is that you've also been so generous in that process that I, um, we've never met, but I've <clears throat> chatted to you like for a few years. And it's been remarkable to see how over the f- past kind of four years that that has shifted and change it, changed. And the what you describe is so, yeah, so what I've seen as well is that there was this immersion and then um, – and I've wondered so much about your relationship with Chris because how – and this is not a question directed at you, but how do you survive things like that? How do you survive those sorts of experiences 
um, living with an actual symbol of everything that's going on and how kind of traumatic that must be in those moments, I imagine. Um, and, and how do you reconcile that in a relationship? And again, it's like, you don't have to answer that, but for me, it's amazing that you are, that you are together and that in the timing of 2020 and 2021, that, um, you've been able to deep dive into all of those things and remain together and do you know what I mean have some sort of a semblance of that because I think that that would be so easy is to just get to a point like you said earlier we're too different and this is too much and I'm not sure how to bridge this um Mm -hmm. but but you have been so generous with your learning around things and I I continue to learn things from you all the time um and I wonder also the kind of psychological impact for you of all of that giving do you know what I mean um, and so often I see you online and I feel like, how are you still in a creative space with all of the, the parts of yourself that you give and give so freely? And that's something that's always fascinated me. Like, how do you look after yourself in that? And I, I know you talk a lot about boundaries, but, but how do you foster that, that inner creativity and what keeps you going in that way? I have, I, I mean, boundaries are hard for me because um I think I think I probably saw a lack of boundaries growing up okay. in people especially women probably and so boundaries are, are are hard for me and so it was really difficult I think basically for four months last year um from like George Floyd mm-hmm. going to a Black Lives Matter protest in Birmingham during a pandemic like yeah. you know and it it was something that I had to do that I had to be there because I think like when you're empathic I think you I don't I don't know if it's the same for everyone and I feel like pretty stupid saying it but it's like you hold an energy in your chest mm-hmm. like, like I feel it as a as a physical feeling in yeah. in my body and sort of being there or doing something helps release it a little bit. I relate to Um, that so much. The the physical marching, I literally was there for 10 hours, which was, and I knew, I knew that it was excessive. I knew I could have gone home, but I allowed myself to be there Mm -hmm. because in such a pit of like, I think, um, and it was too much for sure. And it, and it wasn't until like the end, like November sort of time that I was like, okay, I can't do this anymore. Mm. You can't and continue so, in this way. It's just unsustainable. Yeah. And, um, and it, yeah, it was just too much basically. And, and I, and I had to, I've had to learn that way. Mm. What, <laughs> so, just through kind of burning out. Pardon? Just through burning out and realizing you have nothing left. Yeah, and it wasn't so much a burn out because it wasn't, um, I mean, it was white supremacy for sure. But, you know, in terms of like I've, I was having to do that learning and unlearning um, because I'm very conscious of the fact like the things that I share often are things that I'm learning from myself. Yes. Um, and... Yeah, and so I am very conscious that whilst I was also sharing and giving and doing, I was also unlearning, and mm. I think it was like the combination of that. Like, I didn't let up, basically. I didn't mm. give myself any yeah. room. I didn't give myself any um, any time, and it was only through the concern of friends <laughs> who were like, yeah, you need to you need, you need to take a break. <laughs> this is too much, yeah. yeah. So oh, okay. what, just through friends saying to you, Ritha, what's happening? It was a Ritha stop. <laughs> okay, you can't do this. Very much they yeah. could see what I was doing and then how I was feeling, and they were just like, no, you this need is to too much. stop. Yeah. Because least a couple of months of saying like just stop (laughs) for me to actually stop to hear it it's so interesting I think you know when people are confronted with trauma I'm aware of our time also but when people are confronted with trauma asking them to sit and to be still is traumatic in itself and I love that you followed that instinct as well because that's what they say is that if you are in a traumatic like in a natural disaster and if you don't allow people to do things that those 
kind of um, experiences will um, metabolize in a traumatic way. And so something I love about your 10 hours of marching is that you knew instinctively that you needed to be doing, you needed to be doing something and that your body needed to be moving and, um, and integrating in that way. Um, but like you say, you can't sustain that forever. You can't live in that. And, and especially mm-hmm. I'm so struck by the idea of internal learning and, and then giving so much because when you're doing that internal learning, there's so much, it's like a percolating or a filtering and you can't rush that. But then when you're giving to people, it's, there's something about having to articulate it and package it and hand it over, which I imagine in this particular context can also be so traumatic that why again am I serving people, <laughs> you know, in the midst of something that's actually the most vulnerable state um, I've been in? And mm-hmm. and that's what I wonder about. And yeah, kind of. Yeah, I think I, I think it's different for everybody. I think for me, sharing what I can in very very limited amounts. Like I feel like I don't share half of what actually I'm sure processing or being about. But um, but I um, like j- just doing something ha- helps me also process yeah. and mm-hmm. um into speaking to people helps me process because you're saying that instinctive for me to to march for 10 hours I was like oh yeah actually it was instinctive because I definitely felt like not only had did I have to be there um but I also had to like it was like I had to be there physically and I had to stay there physically and that Mm -hmm. was definitely instinctive but Mm -hmm. I hadn't seen it in that way (laughs) Um, interesting but yeah think i think it is it is complex yeah i'm still working on i hope you enjoyed my conversation with rither if you'd like to get in touch with her on instagram her handle is at before and again and i really recommend her new podcast called spill the chai Thank you so much for being here today. If you'd like to get in touch, I'm on Instagram at grounded underscore families. You can send me a DM or a voice note to my DMs or an email. I'd so love to hear from you. Please do like, share and subscribe this podcast. It really, really helps to get the podcast out in front of more listeners. And I'll see you again next week. Take care. Bye.